All right, friends, we are back once again for another... Another snowpocalyptic episode <laughs> of V8 Radio. <laughs> oh, boy, you are kidding. Snowpocalyptic. Yes, uh, sir. I'm Kevin Oste, uh, joined, as always, by our esteemed co-host, Mr. Mike Cuball-Clark. And, What's uh, happening, Kev? Well, the, you, you said it, man. Uh, yeah. The, the V8 Radio studios north and south are both being barraged by winter weather. We're in the grips yeah, of the, yeah. uh, the snowpocalypse. Yeah, and it's uh, 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 today. I, I don't mind actually. It's uh, I, I dug out my uh, 30, 30 year old uh, kerosene bullet heater that uh, my buddy Paul and I bought. Uh, I think in eighty nine or ninety, and uh, this is an amazing piece of hardware. It's like a thirty thousand BTU little portable kerosene fed bullet heater blowtorch that. Uh, uh, we've not maintained once, you know, uh, <laughs> it, it, outside of put kerosene in it. And the last time I put fuel in this thing was probably eight, seven years ago, maybe. Oh, boy. And you plug it in, and it lights right off. And I, I don't use it very often, but the uh, the uh, garage studio here today is probably, a, it's warmer than the house. I know that. It's uh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> really, it's, it's probably 75 <laughs> degrees in here right now. And oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, so I got a hot coffee. I got uh, an auction streaming on the uh, the screen on the wall. I was uh, also listening to some uh, some vintage R and B on the on the Marantz audio system a little while ago, and oh, you know, man. just just having a day out here. And You've got it all together, man. I'm working on it, you know. And the, I like it. The snow is falling outside, and <clears throat> uh, and I don't care. So that's good. Man, I want to be you. Yeah, I kind of want to be me today, and, and it's been a long time coming because for the past couple of weeks, I have just been sick and not good yeah. and no energy and felt, well, I don't know if you heard that last episode of Muscle Car of the Week. Uh, I did. I had major bronchitis, and uh, and it was a mess. <laughs> well, you, you powered through it. I mean, you could... You could tell you weren't at your, at your best, but you were still pretty good, but you, you definitely... Uh, could tell you had a little something going on there. Well, and 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 uh, I have to thank Ben, our video editor, for pulling that one together because what you didn't hear was that I think I was good for four or five words at a time. Oh boy! Before either the voice completely dried out and shut off, or there was a massive coughing fit. So oh, man. I sent him the. Uh, I stayed out of the shop because I didn't want to infect the crew, you know, with this bronchitis nonsense, yeah. and, and recorded that from home, and emailed him the file and I'm like, dude, <laughs> I am sorry. You're going to earn your pay this week. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he was able to cut that together. And, and yeah, But you know what was interesting about that? And I have to say thank you because we had so many uh, uh, viewers put positive comments saying, hey, hope you feel better kind of thing. Oh, right on. Yeah, it was nice. It was nice. Yeah. We have, the, you have uh, good viewers on Muscle Car of the Week. Uh, we do, we do. Uh, nice people, you know. We, we try to respect their time and, and give them something, and they, uh, by and large, you know, I think we did a, an analysis recently of the uh, the plus and minus, thumbs up, thumbs down ratio on uh-huh. our videos, and we are like, whatever three decimal places is, so point zero zero one negative to positive ratio. I mean, it is crazy. That's thousands, yeah. thousands. Yeah, yeah. Across. I can't say that. <laughs> you know, I think we're coming up on twenty. We're probably at twenty six or twenty seven million plays of our videos, and there's like ten thousands of people that don't like them. Oh, 
well, that, you know, that rate. You know, there's always an anomaly somewhere. Well, that's which is great, but it blew my yeah. mind. I was like, wow. So it was very nice, and uh, thank well, you. Great. To I all mean, that tells you you do you're doing the right thing. So I hope so. I'm, I'm just uh, uh, trying to put something out there that you know, my metric is would I watch this and enjoy it? You know, and if maybe I'm a regular guy like everybody else, so who knows? Hey, how about that? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I give myself too much credit. Uh, so typically, as we start our V8 radio show, we uh, we do it with a piece of automotive trivia. And uh, uh, this is something we throw the question out in the beginning and kind of bait our uh, our listeners to hang through to the end. Entice, uh, I like to think. That's a good Entice idea. our viewers. That's enticing. Yes. Uh, so have you prepared any kind of a uh, trivia question for today? Absolutely, yes, sir. I have. I have. And and have you prepared a trivia question as well, sir? I have, because that's I've learned one way to really make people upset as I just gloat about how happy our viewers are. <laughs> if we fail to do a trivia question, it's on. So no more, no more. All right, fair enough. All right, I'll kick it off. All right, when this car debuted, uh, Enzo Ferrari is noted to have said that it is the most beautiful car ever made. What was that car? Oh boy! Now this is this is tricky because we're not necessarily saying it's one of his. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah, I th- I think you didn't think of that though. So I'm I'm going to think that it is a Ferrari. Is my guess. Uh, well, I'm going to say it's the 1957 Ferrari Barchetta, or or t- Testarossa, which I guess technically was a Barchetta. So I'm going to say 57 Ferrari Testarossa. It was kind of a strange looking car. Um, but I, if I remember correctly, I think he really liked it. Okay. Um, and it was uh, interesting because it had kind of a high wheel arch with open cutouts on the side. And it was a race car. Um, and I, I don't know a whole lot about Ferraris, but I'm going to say that, that that's, that's my guess. I'm going to stick to it. All right. 57 Ferrari Testarossa. Short, sweet, to the point. I like it. Yeah, there you go. All right. Uh, well, our, our, our listeners like it too. Yeah, I'm sure they do. I'm considering them because sometimes this gets a little crazy. <laughs> uh, all right. I will reciprocate. Yes, sir. Uh, the 1974 American classic film, Gone in 60 Seconds, the Toby Halicki masterpiece, uh-huh. uh, wrecked a bunch of cars in the, uh, the car chase. How many cars did they wreck? Oh, good God. Kevin Osti. Uh, All right. Well, I I admit I got movies on the brain because we uh, were planning our 2019 fifth anniversary drive-in cruise event already. Right. Yes, we are. We've thrown the the bidding out. I am hell-bent to make it to that. (laughs) Good, good. Hear that, people? (laughs) You, you, You can come to the event and meet the queue in person. How about that? I hope that doesn't cause ticket sales to slump. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Well, so typically what we do um, is let the let the participants choose the film. So right. early on in the year, uh, before we actually start selling tickets, we, we throw that option out there and let people make suggestions. And, and uh, Gone in 60 Seconds was one of them. And I thought, hey, that'd be an interesting trivia question. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. All right, Gone in 60 Seconds. How many vehicles did they crash? Um since I have not the foggiest idea, uh-huh. I'm going to just throw a wag out there and say 105 100? vehicles. Wow. 105. 
That's a lot of cars. Yeah. But they did, they, they wrecked a lot of cars. Mm-hmm. So uh, mm-hmm. I, have, I have noted that, 105. <laughs> <clears throat> it's going to be like three. <laughs> no, it's definitely not three. That, uh, that's a fun uh-huh. film. There's a, it's a 40-minute car chase, you know, and like the rest, it's a little bit slow getting up to it, but when it's on, it's on. So. Right, 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 right. Yeah. All right. Well, right on. Well, speaking of movies, you know, like I said, I kind of got this stuff on the brain a little bit. Uh, uh, I had an interesting thought about uh, about movie cars. All right. And uh, I figured I'd throw that out there. So, do, do you have a favorite movie car? And I why, do have and, a favorite movie car. And, and why? All right. Um, well, when you first brought this up, of course, the first car that came to mind was the '70 GTO in two lane blacktop. With the yeah, 455 for Mark IV Ram Air. Yeah, go for it. Go figure it. Yeah. But that's not my favorite. Yeah. Uh, the next car that came into mind was um, the, what was it, 56 Fury it was supposed to be, Christine? Mm, yeah, 7, I think. Uh, 57 Fury. Um, but that's a close, I'm going to call that my number two favorite wow. car of all time. Great favorite car. movie car of all time. That was a great movie. And, you know, just a cool car all all around. Oh yeah. But my favorite movie car of all time is the yellow 57 Chevy Project X from the movie um, Hollywood Nights. Nice. And the reason for that is I'd never seen or heard of a car. This I mean when I was a little kid I saw this movie. Um it's probably you know 11 12 years old. And I never seen a car with a, a roots type blower sticking through the hood, especially running. And mm. I thought that sounded so cool, especially when they were on the street drag racing oh, yeah. and just, just hauling ass. I thought, man, that's my car. <laughs> and then reading about it in the pages of Popular Hot Rodding and later in Hot Rod, I just, man, that car's just got it all. And such a storied history to it. So mm, Totally. By, by far, that's my favorite uh, movie car of all time. That is a great one. Um, and, and one of the few movie cars that's a real car. Right, exactly, yeah. exactly. A lot of them are just kind of cobbled together to look cool, yeah. and they're not, they don't really perform. The movie is kind of a, the car kind of did the movie a favor, and not the movie created the car. The car is like, look, I'm a car here, I'm bad. Yeah. You want me to move? Yeah, I'll do your movie, but listen, yeah. I have I have probably a hundred engine cho- you know changes to go through in my project <laughs> car life cycle at yeah. Popular Hot Rodding, and, and yeah, that thing's still around, and, and uh, yeah. it continues to evolve. That's, that's a great one. Wow, cool. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, mine, interestingly enough, would be the Bluesmobile. Ooh! The nineteen seventy four Dodge Monaco sedan. And I I totally can see that. Yeah. Well, and and there's many reasons for this. Um, and again, we touched on this uh, in a Muscle Car of the Week episode recently when I spilled my guts about how I learned about that seventy GSX prototype Buick. But right, I grew up. Uh, the son of a police officer, and and my earliest experiences with high-performance driving were in police cars. And there was a time when my dad drove a 74 Dodge Monaco sedan. Oh, my gosh. It was cop tires, cop shocks, the cop whole, engine. The whole deal, yeah. And, nice. and there's details of that car that I will never forget. One of the coolest things I always thought was, it, I think, I don't know if there were 440 cars, um, because in the suburb where I grew up of Chicago, I don't think they needed... They didn't do a lot of high pursuit stuff, so it mm-hmm. might have been a 383. Okay. Um, but 
this thing, it was green. Our, our town colors were a, a, a metallic green with a white top and white doors instead of black like the Bluesmobile. Mm -hmm. um, but it had steel wheels with the Mopar dog dish hubcaps that had these little tiny holes in them all the way around. Really? And it was a cop cap, yeah. And, and if you look those up on eBay, you'll see. And, and when I was, so 74, I was two. <laughs> uh, but I still remember, you know, being around that car because they had them for a few years. I think they had the, the Monaco's until 78. And then they went to a, a Ford LTD2 police car. Oh, and nice. the world changed because they changed the graphics on them. Those were all white with a lime green high visibility stripe on them. Really? Yeah. And a 302, I believe. And, oh, boy. And this was a 78. So the car was nowhere near the police car that the the Monaco was. Right. But, so so I remember being in the, the Monaco, and I remember the the vinyl bench seat, you know, was like, it was like one piece of giant plastic, you know, <laughs> just yeah. this giant bench seat. Uh, so I remember getting rides in it, you know, here and there, uh, not necessarily ride-alongs. But in, so what, 1980, 79, when they, they started to make the Blues Brothers film, they, mm -hmm. they shot part of that in my hometown. That's and, awesome. And my dad worked security on the movie. Right. That's and, fantastic. Yeah. So then I saw the Bluesmobile in person as a, a young lad, you know, uh, doing its thing in, in my hometown and, and all that stuff. So, so definitely there's a personal connection between that car because uh, to me, police cars were kind of hot rods. But then right. the other thing that I think is interesting about <clears throat> that car is the act of subterfuge that John Landis, the director, employs with that car is pretty subtle. And I don't know if people really get it on a, on a primarily conscious level, uh -huh. but it's a cop car doing bad things. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's true. You know? But for good reasons. For good reasons. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So it, it's got this, this, this air of authority about it because it's a police car. Right. Uh, but then it's kind of up to no good, but like you said, through, through good reason. So I, I always thought that was kind of fascinating, that it lives this blurry... Like a, yeah, like a double life almost. Uh, yeah, right. You know, it's kind of undercover, but it's definitely not. No. Um, no. And then what I like about the car is that it was uh, a character and not an accessory. It was, to use the term vehicle, the vehicle that made most of that... Blues Brothers movie possible. The things they did, they couldn't have done oh, right. without that car. Totally. Yeah. And, I mean, it, it, it's just as much of a character as the walking, talking people in the film. So, it's legit. You know, it's... Yeah, it's, uh, yeah uh, I agree. Uh, and, and that all goes to uh, um, Dan Aykroyd's script. You know, I guess the original Blues Brothers script was like 600 pages. Holy cow. I don't know if you've ever heard that story, but... Uh, I, I did not. Aykroyd wrote out a huge treatment about how the car got its magic powers and, and is that and, right? And, and, yeah. And why they chose the police car and the whole deal this was cut from the, uh, from the movie. But when, uh, when Dan Aykroyd, the, uh, you know, Elwood blues character would park his blues mobile at the transient hotel, uh, you know, where he lived <laughs> he, right by the, right next to the L tracks, right next to the L tracks. There's a deleted yeah. scene that, that you'll, you'll find in, in one of the anniversary DVD editions of the movie. But the scene was that he used to sneak the car into the power substation 
of the L tracks. And the L, oh, really? The L, of course, is an electric railroad in Chicago. Uh-huh. And uh, he would back this thing into this power station. It was all red inside, and it was you know it was basically a one car garage. But the the electric radiation that came off of the uh-huh. substation empowered this vehicle to be able to be unstoppable. Basically, ah, okay, <laughs> all right, yeah, all it's right. cool. It's a it, it, but none of that. So when. Ackroyd presents the script to John Landis, the director, and, and Landis is like, look, uh, nobody cares. Let's just, you know, you're going to do what you're going to do, you know. Right. He, Landis is famous for coining the, the giant bug term, where he's like, in a movie, you know, if the movie's about a giant bug, you just you go, boom, here's a giant bug. You know, you don't okay. need to articulate how the thing got there. How the bug came about. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yeah. So, uh, obviously... You know, I'm a fan of that film, but but that's that's kind of where that car falls in, and that's why when I was thinking about movies, the Blues Brothers would probably be a pretty good film for our drive-in crews, for the action level and and all the. I rest. would agree. It's it's not a car film, but it is, and you know who knows. Right, I understand. But well, we, they sure wrecked a lot of cars in that film too. They did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Unfortunately. Um, yeah. Uh-huh. And when we fast forward to about the same time frame when, when our friend Paul and I were sharing this heater, um, there was a 74 Dodge Monaco Illinois State Police car for sale in our neighborhood. Really? That, yes. And it was, it was white, tan guts, 440 car. Nice. 400 bucks. And my dad said, no, no, no. No sale. No sale. I could have had oh, one. Oh, man. Come on, Dad. <laughs> I know. I know. And now those cars are super hard to find. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure I mean, the vast majority, I'm sure, are been recycled into other things by now. Oh, yeah. Just rusted away, and they're back to the earth. That's it, you know. And, and I, I understand where he's coming from. You don't want a high school kid driving around in a fake police car. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was probably trying to consider my, you know, my social and dating life at that time. <laughs> Look, you're not going to meet any chicks with that. <laughs> and I don't want you meeting the kind of girls that would go for a car like that. That's right. Yeah. Plus, there's opportunity for shenanigans, you know, right. impersonating, whatever. Oh, yeah. Actually, funny, funny side note, when I was uh, in high school in Texas... Um, one of our kids happened to have like a, a police siren, like a, one of those portable sirens you could stick on your hood. I don't know how he got it, but he would pull people over and yell at them. Oh, yeah. High school kid. Yeah, it's a common thing. I'm like, I don't know how this kid didn't get shot or something. Well, Or if you pull over a real cop. Yeah, you know, there, there's, um, there's a whole, there's a lot of people who, who've tapped into that instant authority concept of, putting a light on the car or driving around something that looks like a police yeah. car and, and screwing with the general public. Yeah. That's, and that's just, that's just dangerous. Especially today. Yeah. Yeah. But there, and I don't know if there's an official, um, organization or whatnot, but in, in Southern California, there are guys who ride around on decommissioned police bikes. Oh yeah. And they dress up. So they have a gold, Whoa. they have a gold helmet. They've got oh. the black bomber leather jacket They've got a star on the tank, and they really? got antennas, and they got the white bags, and the whole thing, and it's like a it's like a chip, you know, like a CHP bike. Yeah. It's Ponch and John riding around. <laughs> yeah, and, and, but they're not real cops. 
And they, um, I've heard stories where they've actually, you know, pulled people over and, and, and engaged with them. But then I've also heard that some of these people just do it to help maintain some kind of order because nobody uh-huh. speeds around them. Right. Nobody know. speeds around a cop. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll tell you, when I lived out there, it w- there was nothing more aggravating than being in a pocket of slow moving traffic mm-hmm. only to find out it's because of one of these yahoos. Oh. <laughs> oh, man. That would be frustrating. It was. It was I mean, like, I'm sure LA, uh, LA traffic is bad enough already without that kind of stuff. The, the thing that I found interesting about LA traffic was that as long as. Um, it was very. It was a very tight grid, but for the most part, people would stay moving. You know, so it was kind of a fast-moving grid, um, mm-hmm. as opposed to stop and go. Sure, they, oh, have, really? they absolutely have bumper-to-bumper stop and go, but right. but if it could get moving, you know, people were pretty accommodating, and because everybody wanted to get somewhere, you know, you don't want to sit sure. and all that stuff. Oh yeah. Uh, but uh, anyway, that was. Uh, so there's a nice little tangent for you off the uh, yeah. the, the favorite movie car thing, but uh. <laughs> right on. <laughs> yeah. That burned up a lot of time. Yeah, right. <laughs> Check. Uh, so <laughs> but the other interesting topic uh, that we wanted to touch on was uh, it's auction season in full swing. It is, man. I just I got through watching a bunch of uh, Meekum Kissimmee, and that's that's normally their largest auction, right? Is, is Kissimmee. Yeah. Is that normally is that normally ten days? Yeah, I think it's it reached the ten day mark a couple years ago. I think it's like thirty thirty three hundred cars or something. Oh my gosh, I didn't realize that. And I'm looking at the schedule on the on the Mecum info site, and I'm like, holy cow, that's ten days. Yeah, I mean, I was I was used to it being like Thursday through Sunday uh, on most of the other uh, locations. Like, you got to be kidding me. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, shame on me for not knowing anybody. I'm supposed to be an industry guy and all. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, you're an industry guy, man. Yeah, that's right, man. <laughs> uh, it's a big deal, and there's a lot that came out of this year's. Um, we saw some high water marks on a lot of cars. Um, oh yeah, yeah, and you know, a lot of people use mm. use that as a barometer of the strength of the economy and, and the sport and the hobby. And mm-hmm. uh, if you if you use that, I will tell you, everything is, is roses right now. Um, SEMA has come out with an annual report. Well, it's, I think it's a quarterly report about the, uh, the strength of the, uh, the automotive aftermarket industry. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they, they tend to do some economy predictions. And, and 18 was a huge year, 3.5% growth or something across oh, the board. Great. They're they're expecting 19 to still be strong, maybe not quite as hot, 2.9 or 2.8, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you look at these auctions, man, these cars are just you're, you're pretty they're moving. You're pretty happy about that GTO behind you because uh, it, it, <laughs> right, it's got it's got value. Yeah, it does. Well, even sitting in the heap, it is. It's got a little bit of value, so that's great. Yeah, and and of course, it always. Well, you know, we, we ran a little contest on Muscle Car of the Week, a guess the bid contest mm-hmm. for, for three of those cars, one being the McMullen Roadster, which uh, to me is very similar to your Project X car because it was a, um, a McMullen publishing project car, so to right. speak, um, and it was a real car. And that was a no sale at 700000 which is a lot of money. Yeah, um, that's a lot of money. But again... Comparatively, this is a car with real history and real pedigree, and it's the real right. car. So it didn't sell, um, 
but the other one we were watching of the other two was the uh, that '67 GT500 Super Snake. Mm-hmm. Two million. Yeah, that's right. Two million that bid up to. My gosh. That's right. Uh, two point two. That sold though, right? It sold for two million. Yeah, two and million. I think the on the With website the it, premium it was two point two, right? Right. Right. Yeah. So it, it netted uh, uh, our Meekum friends a couple hundred grand, you know, for the sale. That's a good day's pay. <laughs> that's, and that's one car out of thirty-three hundred. Yeah. Wow. Uh huh. Uh huh. And the funny thing about that Super Snake, you got to see it in person at the McCacken show. Yeah. Uh, this past year, and um, I, so our friend Charlie Lillard was owner of that thing for a while. Was he? He was. Oh, and, Charlie. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and I don't want to speak out of out of school because I don't know the particulars of his ownership of that car. Um, from a dollar value standpoint, I do know that he, he was um, maybe three owners ago. Oh, and, is that right? Yeah, and I, I think he he might have been. The guy who maybe not necessarily found it, or maybe he did find it, um, mm-hmm. but he had a website, supersnake.com, that was all dedicated oh, yeah. to the car, told the history and fo- photographs and all kinds of stuff. He really was a great caretaker of that car. And I think he sold it uh, a couple of years ago to the second guy. And I want to say it was about a quarter of what it sold for today. Well, heck. <laughs> But I mean that's how these things go, and and um, right, 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 when right. you have that that kind of a car, and then the economy mm. goes up, and the interest yeah. level goes up. Yeah, yeah, it's all timing. So. It is. And somebody posted a picture on Facebook of Charlie standing next to the car at the McCacken show. Really? Yeah. And it said Charlie used to own this, and his comment was, "Yes, I wish I owned it again." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, oh boy. Well, hey, you know what? It is what it is. Yeah. So. And, but it was great to see, um, you know, that it's strong. And then and the other one, of course, was yeah. that we followed was a 65 uh, uh, competition Roadster uh, prototype car, Ford GT, that uh, was a 289 car, great history. And that was a no sale at $10 million. That, that blows my mind, man. $10 million. Well, it's a world stage car, though. I mean, this is this I, I, ran at I get it. But wow, it is every bit. Now, now, granted, it was a it, it ran, but it, it didn't necessarily win any races at Le Mans, and and it was I don't know all the the history of it. It wasn't like this is some champion car, but we're seeing that some of those champion cars going for fifty million, you know. So holy cow, the, the Ferraris and stuff like that. Um, so it's 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 mind bending to think of the cash. Uh, <sighs> And so now we're, we're kind of in the wake of all this stuff at this time of year. And there's another uh-huh. auction on right now that I'm, I'm watching on the screen now. But this is what I starts all these debates afterwards of, you know, well, now everybody's 67 Mustang they think is worth a million dollars because that one was worth two. Right. <laughs> and we get this. My, my 67 Six Banker Mustang's got to be worth 100K. Right. right. Got to be. And, and the, the surge right after the auction season, mm-hmm. you know, everybody thinks their car is gold because they, they saw it. And, right. and that's, there's truth in that perceived value surge. Um, right. The other thing I think is interesting is the type of cars. So on our last episode, we did our thing on cars that we would keep if somebody gave to us. 
Right. <laughs> and and one of them for me was the Subaru Brat. Yeah. A Subaru Brat crossed at Bear Jackson. Really? And it got like 20 grand. Yeah. What? Yeah. And now they're all going to come out of the woodwork. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody's going to think they're worth a whole bunch of money because it, you know, the the right car tickled the right people and for whatever uh-huh. reason it, it it was on my mind, so maybe there's something on the radar, you know. Uh-huh. That uh, I I think I saw a Facebook post that uh, a Pinto crossed the Bear Jackson line and got eighteen, eighteen, yeah, eighteen grand. Come on, <laughs> I know. And it's, I wouldn't pay eighteen hundred. <laughs> and it got well, eighteen thousand. I wouldn't either. Uh, but again, I don't have any kind of connection with that car. Right. And right. eighteen grand. I think it was an eight thousand mile Pinto too. Right. It was like brand new. It was. It looked pretty brand new, but uh, my goodness. Right. Right. <laughs> and people are posting on social how uh, you know they can't imagine paying that much for a car, or you know some of the customs that are out there that cost two and three times to build than what they're right. selling for at auction. And, you know, one of the comments was somebody said, hey, you know, I got to hand it to these guys that, that hire these shops to build these cars and spend all this money on them. And then they dump them at auction a couple years later and they get a third of the value. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, it made me kind of reflect on the whole why all this happens. Mm-hmm. And cars, and we've, we've talked about this before, cars as investments, unless it's the super snake, you know, generally right. are not a good idea. And for whatever reason, people always say, you'll never get your money back out. Not, not, not all of them, but, but that's a, a sentiment, you know. Mm-hmm. But as I mentioned here on the show before, they don't say that when you buy a coffee table. That's, that's true. You spent $600 on a coffee. You're never going to see that again. No. What I'm going to mm-hmm. see is a thing that I like in my mm-hmm. living room, holding my coffee and my stuff for 10 years or whatever. Right. And, and I'm going to get the value out of it. Right. Um, but it made me kind of think of the term worthwhile. Is it worthwhile to invest that kind of money in a car when the potential end dollar value might not be what the investment is? And if you dissect the term worthwhile, it's a two 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 words in one, worth being a value and while being time, right? Mm-hmm. And when it comes to what something is worth, our society generally uses currency as the measurement of worth mm-hmm. and, and time is time. <clears throat> but what I think they're not paying a whole lot of attention to is the value that the car brings to a person that is not measured in dollars, right? Right, yeah. And that tends to kind of get swept out of the way because you can't really measure that, you know? Right. But but I'm going to propose a little scenario. All right. Envision this, right? So you're, right you're, you're GTO. Uh-huh. You've had this thing for a long time. You let, Let's fast forward to a time period where it's... It's basically finished. It's, it's everything you want. It looks the okay. way you want. It performs the way you want. And it took <sighs> you years to get there. And oh, it, right? it has. <laughs> well, I know it has. And, and it, t- it took uh, uh, a lot of money to get there over time. And it took a lot of sacrifice. And it took a lot of uh, uh, personal fortitude and, and everything to get there. But now it's done. And it's a Saturday morning in June. And it's supposed to be... 81 degrees outside 
and you have a family function at, uh, at 3 p.m., but between the hours of 10 and 3, your schedule is clear, and you hit the button, and the garage door goes up, and there's the GTO. And it's clean, and it's gassed up, and it's ready to rock. And, you paint a hell of a nice picture. <laughs> well, but just stay with me. So so you, you, you got your keys in your hand, and you open the door, and you grab the handle, and you got that feeling of the handle, and the door makes the same creaky noise it always makes when you get in, and you sit in the, the seat, and it fits your, your, your ass like the, you know, a well-worn pair of shoes, and you grab the wheel, and you slide the key in, you pump the gas, and you... It lights off, that same smell, that same sound, and you let it warm up, you're watching your gauges, you flip your favorite tunes on, and you back out of the driveway, and as you're going down the road, you come to a stoplight, and, and here's a, a family, they're pointing at you from across the other side of the, the highway, and their thumbs yeah. up, and, and you're, you're kind of evaluating the car, because you, know, you don't get to drive it every day, but this is, this is your time, you know, so... Right. It feels good. You're thinking, is there a stumble there? Do I have to adjust the choke? You know, what's going on with that? And then it's warming up and feeling better. And you, you take kind of a blast down a, a country ride, a road and, and you go put gas in it. And there's a guy who wants to know all about it. And, and you enjoy telling that story because you don't have to be anywhere right now. And you're, you're sharing those experiences of, you know, the GTO and your dad and all the work you did. And, and, and pretty soon you're going to meet up with some buddies at your favorite, you know, lunch spot you're going to go to you know portillo's and, and get a beef sandwich and you're going to meet another buddy who's got another pontiac and the two of you park mm -hmm. in the corner of the lot and you walk across and you both look back at the car and you know and you say that that's my deal and uh you go enjoy your lunch and tell stories and and um, you finish up and and get back in the car and, and fire it off again and and you're barreling through the the, the back roads to, to try and take the long way home. And, and as you're driving, you know, you know, you got your obligation coming up with your family, which is cool, but you really don't mm -hmm. want this drive to end. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you finally pull up and you hit the door button and the door goes up and you park the car and you get out and you look at it and you go, man, you know, that was nice. Yeah. That, that was fulfilling. And when you go to your family event later on, you know, you're a, you're in a better mood. The family mm -hmm. likes you more. You're a better guy. Your whole week is better because you had that, that satisfaction of that experience, right? It, it paid off in an investment in who you are and your soul and your, your feelings and your attitude and your outlook. Now, what if on nine o'clock in the morning, rather than you go out to drive the GTO, I say, I'll tell you what, instead I'm going to put a hundred bucks on your kitchen counter for you to stay home. Hmm. Right. Yeah. Come on, Kev. I know it would kill you. <laughs> uh, and, and that's what people need to understand is the, the experience is it does not compare to a dollar value. You know, the, yep. the, it takes the money to, to obtain that experience. And if you ever listen to people who talk about, you know, ways to live a, an enriched, fulfilled life, they all say spend money on experiences and not things. Mm -hmm. Now, we're in an interesting boat because the car's a thing. Right. Uh, and you spend money on it. Um, but even to, to talk about a particular part of that car or a restoration or whatever, say, say you're going to put a distributor in that thing, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so what do you do? 
Well, you learn what you got. You you research the market. You spend mm-hmm. time learning about you know, am I going to do a stock? Am I going to do an HEI? Am I going to do an MSD? What kind of you know distributor? And then you land on a pro billet, and then you go through the uh, the process of price shopping and comparing, and then ordering, and then you get it, and then you get it out of the box, and you're fiddling with it, and you're feeling it, and learning about it, and then you do the install about putting this thing in the car, and then setting the timing and all that. So was that a $400 distributor? Yeah, but mm. there's experiences that went along with just this, that simple thing mm. that bring you gratification, that brought you satisfaction. When the car starts and runs, it's like, yeah, right? And you can't just go, you know, somebody can't hand you $400 and give you that same benefit for your whole existence. Right. It, uh- Every, every word you said is spot on. <laughs> right on. And I've had those, exp- back when this thing was running, I've, I've had those same experiences where I go out to the car, and I would think, you know, I, I would think, I, you know, maybe I have to run to the store, or maybe I have to do something, and I would think, hey, hang on, I'm not going to drive my daily driver. I'm taking the goat out, mm-hmm. and I'm going to go do this, and I'm going to go to the store, and, and I'm going to get some gas, and I know someone's going to talk to me about it, mm-hmm. and I'm going to enjoy every second of it, and I'm going to do what I have to do, and I'm going to come back home, and I'm going to say, man, that was great, and, and that's exactly what would happen, mm-hmm. and you cannot buy those experiences. Just like you said, if someone were to lay $100 down, it's not the same. No, it's not. Not even close. I mean, you cannot quantify that emotion with on a with a dollar amount no at all and the flip side is okay so what can you do with money to try to get that top to bottom gratification of that experience right you could join a gym maybe and and make yourself physically feel better Mm -hmm. you could uh yeah and and this kind of pertains to you know many hobbies in general Mm -hmm. um but living that uh, and, and going through that stuff is, is really what, what fuels us to continue and to go on in life, you know? Right. Because our daily jobs can be a grind and, and all right. the stresses of all the rest of it. So when people just say, oh, you'll never get your money back out of that. Mm-hmm. Well, to me, sometime, and I don't have a lot of money by any stretch, but I think it's like we should be putting more into that kind of stuff because it makes you a better person. <laughs> mm. yeah, amen. That's absolutely, absolutely right. Um, yeah, I mean, you need something to look forward to. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, your life just becomes mundane and boring, and you're like, "Why? Why am I doing this? You know, yeah, yeah. why am I going to? The, why am I doing this job every day? You know, if having having this car in the garage, even though the the process is slow, painfully slow at sometimes, I know there's a there's there's an end game to it, um, and that is to get it running. And then when it is running, then I get to have those experiences again. I get to drive it around. I get to take the family out, and they enjoy it too. You know, I get to take my kids to their you know soccer practice or whatever they have to do. Mm-hmm. And you know, you pull up, and then maybe another dad sees it, like, "Holy cow, who's this guy? Let me talk to this guy about this about his car." Hey, I have a I got a Roadrunner at home, or I got a Hellcat or mm-hmm. something. This is a really cool car. You know, maybe we should hang out or something. You know, that kind of thing. That that All right. That invariably does happen, yeah. and I'm really looking forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and so that's a whole other dimension that, that I didn't touch on is the community that evolves 
And, mm. you know, when you have something in common with somebody, uh, you meet people through, you know, we always say uh, old cars make new friends. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think that's 100% true. So I, I get kind of sick of these people that, that say, you know, well, dollars, dollars, dollars. And it's like, no, mm. no, 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 no. And, and right. a lot of times, you know, don't get me wrong. If somebody spends um, $500,000 to build a custom car and it sells for, you know, one hundred twenty-five, mm-hmm. there's two things at play. Did that person get the, the difference in life experiences with that car that we just talked about? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe they did. Mm-hmm. But if they're at that level to where they're okay putting out 500 grand for a car, um, chances are they have those resources and it's not like anybody held a gun to their head saying, you need to right. do this. You know, they, cho- right. they chose to do that for, for their own mm-hmm. reasons. And if they chose to do that as uh, uh, purely as an investment, well, then yeah. they have Maybe to deal with- Maybe it wasn't with, the best move. Right, they have right. to deal with that consequence. Right. But, but when it comes to regular guys, you know, like us, uh, I think it can't be stressed enough that, you know, from an accounting standpoint, are you going to spend more on this car over the time you own it to restore it and everything else? Probably, you know, mm-hmm. um, but don't discount the value that it brings your life and your family. And, and then eventually your, your workplace, you know, Monday morning, if you, you know, you got to drive the GTO over the weekend, you're in a much better mood and, and the people that you deal with are going to benefit from that. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. That's definitely going to come out for sure. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, plus the, you know, the other side of the coin of, you know, where does that, where do those dollars go when you, uh, you know, build a car or whatever, there's economies that, that, that just domino out in every direction of, to use that distributor's example, well, that was a team of people that are employed to build that and the transport companies to get it to you and the the, the retailers and all the rest, you know, so there, there's a huge economy around the automotive thing. Um, I think SEMA calls it a, the aftermarket side alone is a $43 billion industry. Wow. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and this all kind of whips up into that. So it's, uh, it's pretty mind bending to kind of dissect all that. And to those who, who maybe aren't getting that kind of value out of it, Maybe they're people that don't have any resources and, and, and they are jealous, you know, inside. You know, maybe they're like, well, I can't spend 92 grand for a 70 Chevelle LS6, so that guy shouldn't either. You know, it's crazy. Right. Uh, uh, but if whoever bought it has it, you know, and, and they, you know, you get the value out of it, understand. Um, and it doesn't have to be an expensive car, you know. It could be right. one, one, of the, one of the cheap ones we mentioned on our last episode. Because uh, I bet if you drove a Subaru Brat around, people would be asking you about it at the gas station. <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> it's a little oddball, that's yeah. for sure. So <laughs> that's I, awesome. I, I think, you know, this year I'm trying to make more of a mission out of creating that type of day. You know, getting getting things aligned to where the cars together, and we've talked about this before too. You know, plan your weekend project on starting on Monday before, uh, and protecting right. that time and getting making sure the family obligations are are taken care of so that you can enjoy that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I also believe that to use our little Mike goes to Portillo's in the GTO example story, 
because that doesn't happen very often, I think we tend to try to hyper pack that full of good experience. Right. And just over enjoy everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Over enjoy. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, that, that, that's our next episode. It's going to be an over enjoyable. Oh, an over enjoying <laughs> episode of V8 Radio. Yeah, right, right, right. <clears throat> uh, you know, just because <clears throat> that opportunity doesn't come along every day. So, you know, you got to mm-hmm. make, make the best of it. So, anyway, that was my. Uh, my giant tangent on, on car auctions, but uh, I think we need to bring that up every once in a while. Yeah, I, that's that's a great idea. I mean, if if I mean on, on part of that, if somebody you know when somebody says you'll never get your money back out of it, if you know we don't know the story of necessarily of the guy who's selling the car. Maybe he's had it for twenty years, and you know he got his perceived value out of it so he can afford to let it go for whatever it let he, he lets it go for uh consequently the guy who you know like you said spends $500,000 to restore a car and gets a buck 25 out of it yeah that's he's not going to get his money out of it and if he bought it for that reason to sell it you know a bit of a bad decision on his part. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I did. I mean, I think a part of it is knowing where the market is right now and and the type of car it is. I mean, we um, we looked at our buddy uh, Jeff Schwartz's uh, car uh, that he he had across the Meekum auction line that mm-hmm. probably didn't get as much as he wanted for it and, and ended up not selling. Didn't meet the reserve. But if that were a different car with all the same accoutrement as as it is as it were mm-hmm. it would probably go for a heck of a lot more money if it was a more hotter car mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. that people want this this year and that was a cool car <laughs> bonus, that was a really cool car bonus points for using the uh winnebago man accoutrement <laughs> accoutrement <laughs> <laughs> familiar with winnebago man um winnebago, not off the top of my head winnebago man you got to look this up on youtube slight diversion youtube okay. uh, uh a guy named jack rebney was doing some promotional video for Winnebago in the 80s, and there's an outtake reel of his outtakes. Uh, oh, yeah. And one of the words he uses, he talks about the accoutrement on this uh, uh. Uh, Winnebago, and, and he looks at the camera and goes, what the F is accoutrement? <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, it turned into a feature film, actually. It was really good. But Did uh, it? Anyway, Je- right. yeah, Jeff Schwartz, a perfect example of a car that didn't have the two right people in the audience. Uh, that, right. that wanted it. It's a 65 Ford Custom 500 two-door sedan yeah. that he restored and put a, a 428 with dual Fitech fuel injectors on it and a five-speed manual transmission. And, yeah. and I drove that car. It was awesome. It was, yeah. uh, it was a little bit... Um, it was very comfortable. Um, it's a big car. It was a little bit mm-hmm. soft, which was kind of cool because it made the, the launch more dramatic and, and, and the okay. sh- between-gear shift, you know, front-to-back rock you know was really there but it had a lot of power and uh jeff <clears throat> built it and got his fun out of it and it was in car craft mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff and it was time to move on to accommodate other projects mm-hmm. and yeah it went to 30 grand and installed and he he had way more in it than that so but he right. was smart enough to say no we're gonna pull the shoot on this and try and move it somewhere else right um but i think too uh you know the, the the muscle car market in general is is real hot, and and I think there's always this panic, you know, about well, what's next? You know, are the are the next generation are they going to care? Are they going to pay that kind of money? Are they going to pay two million dollars for a '67 
you know, essentially a Mustang. Mm. And I think we owe a debt of gratitude to Hollywood and video games right now. Mm-hmm. You know, as, as much as I think a lot of Hollywood is, is kind of crazy and detached from reality. Right. But they, you always have cool, either bad guys or good guys. They're always driving muscle cars. And that's a way to tap into that next generation. It, did, it worked for you, you know, Project X. You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then the video games, you know, you can build all kinds of great muscle cars and go race them and, and stuff uh, to kind of plant that seed. And, and, of course, we've talked many times about having that personal connection young. So that's just one more way to get it. So I think as long as they keep doing that, it validates, you know, what these cars are. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't think there's any, uh, you know, and I'm not just saying this because, you know, my, my business, you know, owning a restoration shop depends on it. Because we, we could change our, our specialty fairly easily and and be working on whatever you know just apply the same philosophy and quality levels to different kinds of cars but mm-hmm. we're, we're flooded with muscle cars which is good we like them yeah um, oh yeah and i'm not just saying muscle cars are popular because you know it it keeps us in business i think it's the other way around you know we're in business because muscle cars are popular so mm. yeah i would agree with that yeah totally um and again you know at the end of the day the auction has its flaws because it's a uh, the, the, when the collection thing started happening when the when the auctioneers realized hey if I can make twenty percent off selling one car and you got twenty of them I can make twenty percent on selling twenty cars mm-hmm. so they started to reach out to these collection owners to inspire them to to dump their entire collection at auctions but I think the general public saw that as oh no people are dumping all their cars oh. Uh. And that, that's not necessarily the truth. That's not, you mm-hmm. know, it, it was really more of a way for the auction houses to make a big buck right away. So. Yeah, that, that is, that is definitely a byproduct of that. I mean, I think there's other, there's gotta be other reasons as well. Maybe the owner of the collection is, is advancing in his years and has no one to leave it to and, um, or no one that really is interested in, in taking care of these vehicles after he's gone. And this is a way to liquidate that and mm-hmm. maybe spread that among his family uh, when he when he does go. Or sure. just to get into something else. Maybe he's into boats. Like, I'm going to get rid of all these cars and buy some boats. Yeah. And <laughs> that, like we've that. seen that happen uh, where a gentleman in Arizona got <clears throat> more into airplanes. So the cars went away and he went to something else. Mm-hmm. And, and, and yeah, you know, there's a legacy thing and, and, and whatnot. But a lot of them are, again... You know, some some collectors that are at that level like to accumulate a whole bunch of a particular car, get the best ones, you know, frame out their their collection and then Mm -hmm. appreciate it and then move it. And let's build another one. Um, You know, there's a a lot of people that do that. One guy, you know, was really into the Buick GSs for a long time, got the four speed convertibles, got, you know, all those cars and and. Before that, he was a big Camaro guy, and he had all the top Camaros and moved those mm. to get into the Buicks, and he moved the Buicks to get into something else, you know, and whatever. <laughs> There's a million stories, and, you know, that might be actually kind of an interesting thing uh, to research or maybe an idea for some kind of a show of, you know, the story behind the sale. Ah, that could yeah. be uh, yeah. interesting. You know, it probably wouldn't be too hard to do if somebody was diligent enough about communicating with, with uh sellers 
and buyers at the auction and, and talk to them for 10 minutes about, you know, why is this car here today? And then talk to the guy who bought it and said, you know, why, why'd you buy that car? And kind hmm. of circle of life, you know? Yeah. Huh. Hmm. Good idea. Not bad, man. Not bad. <laughs> <laughs> right on. All righty then. Uh, well, uh, I think, uh, you know, we're not, we're not going to solve all these things. But again, at the end of the day, it's really all about enjoying this stuff. And, and if you don't enjoy it, don't do it, you know. And right. if there's a way to, um, anyway, you know. Don't get me wrong. I, I get frustrated working on the car, and and it throws you a, a wrench, and the parts not available, or something broke, or whatever. And you have to remind yourself sometimes that no, that's part of the experience too, pal. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Yeah, yeah. There's going to be some skin knuckles here. Yeah. Now and again. But this time of year, uh, when I'm not out driving, you know, a cool old car because of the weather or whatnot. Uh, it's fun to plan ahead and look at events and, and you know, try and set some goals for things that we, you, know, you want um, mm-hmm. to do to get that gratification as, as often as you can. And, and that's what I recommend to everybody. Sage advice. There you go. But you know what? If, reflecting back on our last episode where we talked about those cars that were possibly given to us in a fantasy land that we kept, we mentioned uh, our buddy Paul, the same guy that yeah. I shared the heater with. And his Fiero, because you were the right flying the Fiero, flying the Pontiac banner through that, and said you wanted a Fiero. <laughs> uh, he pointed out that uh, in fact he had two Fieros. What? Oh yeah, yeah. And I, I mentioned the silver '88 GT5 speed, uh-huh. uh, but it turns out he also had a four-cylinder '88 five-speed first. Really? And he wanted to bring that up, saying, "Hey, no, 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 no. I had two Fieros." So, All right. So that was on purpose then. He intentionally <laughs> bought another one. Yeah. yeah. Well, at least he went up. He didn't go from the six cylinder right. to the four cylinder. He went right. Uh, right. the other way around. So I... Kudos, Paul. Kudos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Next time you see him, you can go ask him what it's like in, in Fiero life. I will. I will. Yeah, <laughs> oh, right. yes. Yeah. All right. Well, I, uh, I'm sensing, you know, a great amount of. Uh, anticipation from our listeners who uh, really want to know the answers to these trivia questions. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It's growing, yeah. the anticipation. You can cut it with a butter knife. Yes. Yeah. Yes. All right. You All go right. first. Okay, Kevin. I asked you, uh, when what car came out, did Enzo Ferrari call it the most beautiful car in the world? Yes, and I, and I, I rectally stated the 57 Testarossa because I have no idea. Testarossa. And unfortunately, Kevin, that is not correct. Yeah, the correct answer is the Jaguar E-Type. E-Type, yes. There you go. The E-Type. And he's, I don't think he's really far off the mark on that. That is a beautiful car. It is a beautiful car. You know what I thought was always strange about those is the, the spindly wheels and tires of the day. Yeah. They, they look like a beautiful thing tiptoeing. <laughs> yeah, they um, need at least like eight, nine inch wide tires on there to, to really fill it out. Right, but um, I think our friend Chip Foose is fixing that right now because I think is he? He, I think he's building one. Yeah. All right, all right, Chip. Yeah, I still got my chip hand. <laughs> you still haven't washed it. <laughs> still got my chip hand. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, hey, I'm, I'm I'm dedicated. Yeah, no kidding. You're gonna be. Uh, <laughs> 
of something. <laughs> have a plague or something on that. Pretty right, funny. right, right. All right, so I lose. Uh, my question to you was the uh, 1974 film Gone in 60, uh, where there was a 40-minute long car chase, wrecked a bunch of cars. How many were destroyed? And you said 105. 105. Which is a, a great guess. It was actually 93. Ooh! Yeah. I was not far off, man. You were far closer than I was. <laughs> than I thought. So I thought it was going to be like 20. No, no, no. I'm almost inclined to give you that one on a relative scale of who was closer to being right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. Now I got to I got to be on the mark. 93. <clears throat> wow. Cars, 12 yeah. cars off. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of cars. It is a lot of cars. Yeah. Good good film especially, you know, if you're uh, equipped like I am to be able to have a a screen like in the garage in the background that is a great mm-hmm. film to watch because the story really isn't that great but you know <laughs> just to see cars crashing all the time <laughs> as background noise is fun that is fun yeah, yeah. well very cool um I'm, I'm i'm happy to say that uh i had turned off uh, the blowtorch heater during this uh this episode um and it's not really getting too terribly cold in here so that's good Good. Uh, I think I'm getting more oxygen in the room, you know. Which well, that's is good. always helpful. Yeah, because that kerosene exhaust was starting to get to yeah. me, I think. That, that will displace a little bit of oxygen. Yeah, it sure did. As, yeah. as do, do I during this show. <laughs> 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 nice. Well played, sir. Well played. Yeah. But uh, we, we appreciate everybody uh, listening to V8 Radio. We're going to ask that you uh, subscribe. We've been in this kind of dance on iTunes. iTunes will display popular podcasts of certain categories. And we've been lucky enough to be featured on the page one of automotive popular podcasts. But we're always trying to creep up and and knock those other ones out. So uh, by by subscribing and listening through iTunes, uh, it'll help that. So we appreciate if you do that. If not, no big deal. You know, we don't really get anything out of it. Just bragging rights. Um, Mm -hmm. But you can also listen to the show on uh, uh, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, the uh, V8Radio.com website, uh, of course, Facebook, and I might the be... Tune in Radio app. Yep, Tune in Radio yep. app. Yep, yep, yep. So we appreciate all that. And, uh, and I think that's pretty much all I got for this one, man. That's all I got, man. All right. Well, as usual, uh, thanks again for listening, and uh, keep the... The shiny side up. I'm Kevin Oste from Mike Clark. Thanks for listening to V8 Radio. <laughs>